Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast, where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. In this video, we are going to look at the Gospels, the texts of the Gospels, and explore a little bit about what they are. In previous videos, we've done the Messiah. We've looked at the Messiah, the milieu, the Messianic milieu, the Messianic expectations within the age of Jesus and Jesus's world. And before we launch into other videos where we're looking specifically at some of Jesus's parables and teachings, we, we want to stay broad in this new series of videos on the Gospels and what they are. So when were they written? What influenced the Gospels? What genre are these texts? And we will, this will help us as we move forward and talk about other issues about the Jewish Jesus. So follow me. Let's go to Jerusalem. Regardless of what you're reading, you've got to know the context of this material, and you can't know the context unless you know in what generation or what era these texts are written. So I ask a lot of my students, both at the university I'm teaching now and in the past, when I taught at a large Southern university, when I had different types of uh, Christian students, I would ask them, when were the Gospels written? And most of the students had never even considered that question. They didn't even think to ask that question. I have no idea. Oh, give me a big fat break. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't know. That's nice. Mr. Han, will I pass this class? Gee, Mr. Spicoli, I don't know. That's nice. I really like that. They're just for them. There's just these texts before them. And they were told since they were kids that these are important. And they just assume that these are just historical texts about Jesus and they are every bit as reliable as a videotape or a voice recording or something. And so they, they have to sort of get them out of their comfort zone in, in talking about this issue. It's not extremely controversial, but uh, it does take some getting used to for my students. So that's, it's important to know that. So when, when were these Gospels written? Let's just cover them very briefly just to get a sense of how scholars work through this material. The Gospel of Matthew... This is the first gospel in in, in the most translations. Is this gospel is first quoted by an early Christian writer, Ignatius, and he quoted this text or mentioned this text in, in about 110 CE or AD. So we can actually start there. We can maybe start at the at the latest possible date that these texts could have been written, and then we can work backwards. Now, what about the Gospel of Mark? This gospel is first mentioned by a guy named Papias or Papias around year 120 CE or AD. The Gospel of Luke, first mentioned by an early Christian writer, Justin, in about 160. But there were earlier writings allude to, earlier Christian writings that allude to the Gospel of Luke, specifically in the 90s with 1st Clement and in the 150s with 2nd Clement. So that's a little bit wider margin, but uh, we can at least see what's going on there. It's the first half of the second century. The Gospel of John, first mentioned by a mid by the mid-second century in the 150s to 170s, but the earliest manuscript containing material from John is dated to the 120s. So basically what this tells us, if in terms of the scholarship we have now, is that all four Gospels were in circulation within the first half of the second century and most likely in the first decade 
of the second century. So the latest gospel written of these four could not have been composed after about the one tens. There's some, some margin of error there, but it's about the one tens. So now that we've got the latest possible date, what about the earliest? So the Gospel of Mark presupposes that the author knows about the Jewish-Roman War that took place between 66 and 70 CE or AD. This author knows about the temple's destruction in 70. In Mark 13, for example, Jesus, in reference to the temple, says, not one stone shall be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. This is verse 2. Also, in the next few verses, the author of Mark mentions wars and rumors of wars. In verse 7, Jesus then quotes the desolating sacrilege, this, this language that is borrowed from the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, which is in reference to the Greeks desecrating the temple in 165 BCE. So, I mean, and this is in Mark. So the question, though, that some of my students ask is, could not these references have been prophecies of Jesus that were written down in the late 30s or 40s? So, I mean, just because the author seems to know about these destruction, this destruction of the temple, isn't it possible that Jesus simply prophesied of, this, of these events and that the author of Mark, writing in the 30s or 40s, within, you know, within 10 years of Jesus' death, just simply wrote them down. The problem with that, is of, of dating these texts to the 30s or 40s or even the 50s, is that if the gospel writers put in prophecies of a destruction of the temple, and then 20 years later, those prophecies were still unfulfilled, they would run the risk of making Jesus look like a false prophet. Because what we see in Deuteronomy 18 is this. If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. That's Deuteronomy 18.22. Jews knew this. They looked for when somebody thought that uh, another figure was a prophet, they knew of these, these passages in Deuteronomy, and they watched what this person did and said and to see if these things would come to pass. The fact that these prophecies, Jesus may very well have prophesied of the destruction of the temple, but the fact that they ended up in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, is because they had already happened. And therefore, a reader or somebody hearing these traditions or reading these texts might say, ah, yeah, that really did happen, and therefore Jesus uh, is a true prophet. But it would be very dangerous to put things into the text that would put him in unfavorable light, especially to make him look like a false prophet. So we have to do, we have to keep that in mind. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> also, the fact, and we will talk about this a little bit later, that the Gospels themselves state that we are doing this, or I, in so many words, we are writing this to show specifically that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, if, you're, if your goal is to paint Jesus in the, in the best light and show that he is the Messiah, you can't put a prophecy in there that was given 10 or 20 years ago if it hadn't already come to pass. So this is how scholars suggest that, yes, this, this was written in the late 60s when the destruction of the temple is inevitable and there's wars, rumors of wars, or in the early 70s when it had already happened. So we start there. The Gospel of Mark couldn't have been written prior 
at least the general academic consensus is that it wasn't written in the 40s and 50s, it was written in the late 60s or early 70s. Now, if we get that right, we can date Matthew, Luke, and John, or at least Matthew and Luke, after Mark, because these Gospels, Matthew and Luke, quote verbatim large sections and precise terminology from Mark. Even if they hadn't borrowed from Mark, both authors knew about the destruction of the temple in Matthew 24 and Luke 19 and Luke 21. So it's the same argument there that applies. And in the case of Matthew, the author uses the phrase to this day in Matthew 27 and Matthew 28, which implies that a significant amount of time has passed. And in scripture, sometimes, so that we find this phrase to this day in the Hebrew Bible and in a few places in the New Testament. And these words mean that not only a significant time has passed, but at least an entire generation. This is a new era and where they can say to this day. So there's that issue to keep in mind. And also with the, the Gospel of John, that author of that text also knows about the destruction of the temple. Also Paul, if we think of Paul, and his, a lot of his letters, most of his letters, if not all of them, were written before the Gospels in the, in the 50s, 40s and 50s. And even if we go through Paul, it doesn't seem that Paul has any knowledge of the Gospels or, or the traditions about Jesus. In fact, if you took everything that Paul said and wrote it down on a notepad, you'd have a very small piece of paper of everything that Paul said about Jesus's ministry things that he did or said specifically. So like a very small, like a three by five card on one side. That's all you would need. So even Paul doesn't know about the circulation of other texts and doesn't mention them. So what it seems is that all four gospels were written at some point between the late 60s or early 70s to about the 110s or 120s. This is the generation, this 40, 40 year period or so is the generation in which the gospels were written. And so basically we've got three stages that I show my students, three stages of the Jesus traditions and the, de the development of the Jesus traditions or, or stories about Jesus. Stage one is roughly 28 to 30 during his ministry. Scholars suggest through the text that Jesus was born sometime between 4 and 6 BCE or BC because he had to, to be born before Herod the Great died and Herod died at 4 BC. So... This would put his ministry in the late 20s. So stage one is the late 20s, Jesus's direct sayings and deeds. In stage two, we have this period between the year 30 and about the year 70, that one, a full generation, uh, 40 years, where these traditions about Jesus are, were oral traditions. And all of these traditions likely contained elements of both historical truth and embellishments, just by the nature of storytelling there's some distortions or little facts that were forgotten or a, a story that was taken out of context a little bit and confused with other stories. And so this is stage two of the oral traditions. And then we have stage three that is roughly the year 70 to about the year 110 or in, you know, in that generation. And these are the written versions of those oral traditions combined with theological and political motives of the gospel writers. So we, we are now... The, the, the generation in which the Gospels were being written, we are a full two generations or within the second generation after, two full generations after Jesus. We have to keep that in mind when we, when we are using the Gospels as historical reconstructions. Okay, so with that, knowing that the Gospels were written at a certain, in a certain generation, we can also ask ourselves, of what genre are these texts? What type of texts are they? The word gospel means good news. 
This means that this is a positive message about a certain person, a certain figure. Some scholars, at least one major scholar, has determined in his doctoral dissertation that the Gospels fit the genre of ancient biography. Some scholars have challenged this view broadly, but I still think it's, despite its minor problems, that's the best framework that we can use to place these texts. And what uh, some of these scholars who propose this view is that the Gospels are similar to the Greek text, the Greek bios, life. It's where we get, you know, bio life. You're telling a story of someone's life. These texts are meant to persuade people to the Christian cause. Ancient biography was not objective. They didn't claim to be objective. They were subjective. And they were meant to highlight a certain individual and then demonstrate a certain argument about that individual's career or life. Because they reflect ancient biography, they were blatantly subjective. And they typically stylized the main character in a stereotype that people would understand. So when, when somebody's reading these ancient biography, they would immediately place this person into a stereotype like a politician, a philosopher, or a miracle worker, or a Jewish holy man, or a prophet, or a messiah. So in ancient biography, the, the, the writer is not concerned about the central figure's motives and, and also psychological development. The Gospels don't care about how Jesus is thinking through issues and how he's being sensitive about some issues and responding and how his life sort of grows in a sort of crescendo. It's just simply static stories that we get about Jesus. In this explanation, we should note that every story or parable in the Gospels was strategically placed to support an overarching argument about Jesus. Here's an example in John 20 where he actually says this very thing. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the things that I put in there, are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So right, even here, the, the author of John is stating specifically, I haven't put everything in. I carefully chose. And like in the Gospel of John, you get water turned to wine, which is a very messianic act, which we'll talk about in a, in a future episode. You get, in fact, the entire second year of Jesus's ministry, or uh, there's a long stretch where in the Gospel of John, he includes one story. And that is, it's like in Jerusalem, one miracle story where Jesus goes to the pools of Bethesda and tells the guy to, to get up and carry his bed and walk. That's the only story in the entire year of Jesus's ministry. So we have to ask, what is that one story? Why is that place there? And what does it tell us about the goal of showing that Jesus is the Messiah? So what period of Jesus's life occupies the largest amount of material in the Gospels? I ask my students this because the answer explains further that these texts were constructed for a specific subjective reason. Okay, it's not just to, to report history. They're not just trying to report historical facts as we're used to today. So I ask this question, what period of Jesus's ministry took the largest amount of the Gospels? The answer is, it's the last two weeks of his life. And I'll show you up here on the screen for those of you who are getting this through the YouTube channel, is that here in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark is at 16 chapters, but notice that in chapter 8, so we're not even, we're only halfway through the gospel, we're already at Caesarea Philippi, which is one of the last discussions that Jesus has with his, that he has with his disciples. And in the very next chapter, Mark 9 is Jesus's transfiguration, 
And then in Mark 10, Jesus leaves for Jerusalem. So we're really about two or three weeks away from Jesus's death, the last you know, three weeks, a month maximum of his life. Yet that is about 50% of the gospel. The gospel of Matthew is 28 chapters. In Matthew 16 is where you get to Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 27 is the transfiguration. In Matthew 19, Jesus leaves for Jerusalem. So here we get about 40%. This is not scientific. I didn't go count every verse, but this is get, a, get a sense of how much they are devoting to the, the last few weeks of Jesus' life. In the gospel of Luke, this is 24 chapters. And in Luke 9, you're already getting to Caesarea Philippi. Also in Luke 9, the transfiguration. And then a few chapters later, in Luke 13, is when Jesus leaves for Jerusalem for the last time. So this is about two-thirds of the gospel, at least if you're looking at it in, in the timeline. Two-thirds of the gospels are within the last few weeks of his life. Although those, cha those, la those chapters from chapter 9 on do contain a lot of parables, a lot of, a lot of stuff in there that could have been given earlier in his ministry and that they were just stuck in those chapters. But also the Gospel of John, 21 chapters. But early in John 6, Jesus is already at Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. John 10, he leaves for Jerusalem. So here we get about 50 to 70% of the Gospel that is within the last few weeks of Jesus' life. Again, what this tells us is that these Gospels aren't trying to show, trying to, to write a biography of Jesus like we're used to today, where they talk about Jesus's childhood and birth and his ancestry and going through and really showing everything about his life. They're just getting this sort of cliff notes version of his life, carefully crafted stories placed strategically to make a point, a, a strong point uh, for the, the readers of these texts, or at least what the authors are trying to get their the audience. That was awesome. <laughs> so that's all for this video. Check out to make sure you check out subsequent videos in this series of what are the Gospels and what influenced them. In later episodes, we will talk about what was going on in that generation when the Gospels were written, what was going on politically with between Jews and the Romans and what was going on that will help uh, put these texts in further context. Also, check out other videos in this YouTube channel and my recent book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. You'll get many more details uh, on this issue and other issues in that book.